When injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopaedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team. You're always close to care and the care that you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. Minä olen Robin Lund ja olet kuuntelemassa The Sound of Loons. afternoon or evening, depending on when this finds you. Welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. I'm Steve McPherson, and I'm here with Callum Williams, and we're delighted to be joined by MNUFC color commentator Kindred D. St. Aubin this week. Can I just start by saying I'm really looking forward to this as someone who's been working from home with a child who's distance learning for many months now. So it's great to have time uh, to have some adult conversation and also talk to Cal. <laughs> well, and someone who totally can't appreciate, right, the fact of the whole child at home distance learning thing. I mean, I know, I'm sure Cal at some point, Stacy's putting the pressure on, especially during quarantine, but we don't have to get into that. But um, I was talking to my neighbor who has four boys and she was like, I just go to the grocery store so I can have an adult conversation. Like, I just want to talk to the guy at the checkout. So yes, it, it is. A, this is a pleasant, pleasant afternoon surprise to be able to join you guys. For um, yeah, what it's worth, Steve, I'm, I'm sure Stacey, my wife, feels the exact same. He loves getting out of the house to have an adult conversation because I am out <laughs> in this relationship for sure. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. It's it's tough. You know, like I, I am enjoying uh, the time that I get uh, with my wife. We watch TV and uh, we get to hang out and uh, and that's great. But it's nice to see, it's nice to see other people, um, you know, so to speak. Um, we just... Rewatched uh, all of Ted Lasso. Have you guys? I know we talked about Ted Lasso, Cal. Have you guys watched Ted Lasso now? So I've watched a couple episodes, but the one episode where his wife, like that, they're you know the reason he moved over there, and she decided to go back home, and he's like all sad, but he's letting her go. I haven't been able to start watching again since, and that was only like a few episodes in because it was so heartbreaking to me how sad he was um kind of watching that fall apart. So I have to finish watching it because it was nice. Is it in general? It's a lighthearted funny uh show in a time where it's just so heavy all the time so i got i gotta get back into it yeah for sure it goes up from there i mean i think that that is you know it sort of starts a little silly and then that gives you a little like emotional weight to sort of carry you through it because if it were just sort of charming it would be a little too light but it, it keeps it pretty light other than that and um it's 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 great it is an incredibly charming show and that like you said kendra that kind of charm is is what we need. Te- uh, uh, Cal, you have watched it as well. Um, what was what was your feeling? Yeah, I think um, all of the uh, words used to describe it are extremely accurate. Uh, it's very uplifting in what is a rather dour time at the moment. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, I know what you mean, Kay. It, it's it's quite um, it's quite a gut wrenching scene that is when when his wife decides to go back home and everything. And you know, but yeah, look, as Steve says, it only gets better from there on out. Um, I just love it because um, it, it's it, it's a comedy um, with little bits of, of um, little bits and pieces of it that pull up the heartstrings as well. 
Um, Jason Sudeikis is Kansas City boy as well, so I don't mind it. Um, and yeah, look, I mean, it's it's a really good show. I, I like the fact that we've got a soccer program that is mainstream at the moment. I've had a lot of people, a lot of friends ask me, oh, have you seen this and this and this? And they've never watched soccer in their life, you know? And I think it's great. If that's the way to introduce casuals into the game, great, so be it. Here's the thing, and I'm glad I can ask you both about this since you both watched it. Um, the only thing that sort of, I think overall the soccer approach was good on it. Um, it, it hits a lot of things that are, uh, that I feel are pretty accurate. The actual soccer being played out there looked weird to me for some reason the first time I watched it and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And I think maybe, I mean, I think maybe they weren't on a full-size soccer field, first of all. Second of all, um, I think the thing that I realized the second time through is that, um, we don't appreciate how fast and athletic actual soccer players are because when you see actors just running, you know, as if they're athletes, you're like, you're not moving at all. <laughs> like, so I think in a lot of the shots, I would see people running and they're not like professional athletes running and they probably look kind of like me running, like not, not very good. I think that was, I think that was what was catching me up. But was, was there anything about the actual soccer you saw that you were like, come on, that's ridiculous. Well, my thought on that is, you know, first of all, I think it makes us appreciate action films for how difficult it actually is to film a real game or a real action piece that make, to make it look real. So when you go back and watch, you know, um, Miracle or, you know, different things like that, especially with hockey and other things, it's like, well, you can really appreciate the actual film quality. And part of it, I think, too, is it was supposed to be sort of funny, The you know, this this show. So it's not supposed to be exactly like we really see it. But it, it definitely gives you an appreciation for how fast the sport is moving. And people that have never played soccer, then once they play it and they see it and they get up close to it, they realize actually how difficult the sport is. So hopefully, you know, hopefully watching that show doesn't give the wrong impression. You know, to your point, Cal, if you have friends that are watching it that have never seen soccer, they're like, oh, my gosh, these, this is terrible. This looks so easy. Like, look at how slow these people are moving. <laughs> so hopefully they don't think that's what it's really like. But um, you know, I think it's, it's when it's a comedy like that, you just kind of have to take it with a grain of salt and it does make you appreciate how fast these guys are moving and in, in real life and what they're doing in the run of play. I've always had, um, have an issue with people acting out soccer scenes and, and, you know, in particular, so, you know, you get those, like those random insurance commercials or whatever, you know, and it's like people playing soccer and whatever. The one part that I always have an issue with, and it's the same in several movies I've seen as well. The goalkeeping looks absolutely awful. They always do a point where the goalkeeper is diving to either side and their arms are all over the place. And I'm like, just palm it away. Like, it's not <laughs> difficult. Like a, <laughs> you know, and I'm not suggesting goalkeeping isn't difficult, but there's, there's so many situations where it looks as if the ball is going straight to them and their arms just go all over the place. And I want to be like, just palm it away. It's not, <laughs> it's not hard in that situation. That's my issue with it. Yeah, I also noticed that in in Ted Lasso and the sort of you, you're not there, but in the sort of I'm not going to sp any spoils for you, Kendra. But in the climactic game, you know, there's a shot that is not saved by the goalkeeper, which is obviously a thing that happens. But he's the guy. I don't know what the guy's name who plays him. I'm sure he's fine. He's great. But the, the character's name is Zorro, and he like he's just falling over. Like he doesn't even reach, you know. And it's like it's one of those things where you realize how goalkeepers you know, there's all this energy they have all the time. And they just, as soon as they make a move, they give like everything into it, you know? And so these guys are just kind of like, oh, <laughs> and I was like, of course you didn't save it. Like that was terrible. So 
Um, enough soccer criticism, enough soccer film criticism. I'm sure the budget was not what it was for um, uh, for a major motion picture to get those soccer scenes done. So uh, haircuts on the guys, very accurate soccer haircuts for everybody. Um, let's talk about the Super Draft, uh, which happened this past uh, week. Uh, it was on Thursday. Uh, the MLS Super Draft, again, Minnesota United has done a lot of building through the draft, uh, very successful former draft classes, especially in 2019. Um, this year, and we, of course, as this is happening, we never know what's going on. I'm sitting there just like chilling. We've got a ways to go before the pick. And then suddenly Minnesota United trades and moves up to take picks 17 and 18. Uh, what is your feeling about like what, why did they, why did they make that move, Kendra? Well, I think, first of all, you know, it's not like these guys, meaning the sporting staff and the coaching staff, are flying blind. They have very specific players that they are targeting, and you're just very hopeful at times that they get to the position where you can draft them. And I know they felt the same way in 2019, and I was very lucky to be at the convention center during that draft um, and see Chase and, uh, you know, Dane get drafted and, and chat with Hassani after he got drafted in the second round. So I think that these coaches know what they're doing and the staff knows what they're doing. They've done their research. Now, do we know what will happen once they actually join and play professionally? Nobody ever knows in any sport with the draft because these guys can look so good in college. They can look so good if they played in USL or if they played in an amateur level, but you never know how it's going to translate into the professional game once they're in that environment under that sort of pressure. And again, in 2019, very, very fortunate to have such an awesome draft class, not just player wise, but also people wise. I mean, those are three really good guys that work their tails off and are willing to learn and listen, which I think is half the battle sometimes is just guys that want to soak it in and learn. Um, and I think that with Justin McMaster, for sure, they saw someone that they felt very fortunate to even get at 17. And had he not had the ACL in the past year, I don't know if he would have even dropped that far. I think people were feeling that this was a forward or a striker or a winger, whatever we're going to call him, that can be really valuable at the next level if put in the right system with the right players alongside. Um, I don't think his numbers blew me out of the water from Wake Forest, but it's always hard again to say, you know, without having watched every game, what he was bringing to the table. But again, just athleticism, determination, willingness to learn, excited to be a pro, which I think is an important key piece um, for these guys um, to move on. And, and 2020 was a strange year for these college players as well. So I think they saw something in Justin McMaster that they absolutely wanted to snag. And and then with the defender, I will let you um, say his name, Steve, at the number 18 spot. Same thing, a versatile player who just has a knack for defending and a crunching tackle, which we know can be really important in that holding midfielder position or along the back line. And Adrian has said it since day one, competition breeds quality in these players and the more depth and quality depth you can have at these positions, the better your team will be training every day in games, competition at those positions. And I think that's what they saw trying to get those two players in the number 17 and 18 spot worth making the trades and moving up. Yeah, I believe um, his nickname is Nobby. We just call him Nobby, I believe. But, uh, I believe <laughs> Cal will say it for us. Cal will say it for us. I think that's pretty close. Um, it, Cal does not settle for close, Steve. Well, the problem is, look, if it's, a pro, if it's a pro player, that's one thing. When it's a guy coming out of college, like there's just not that much info like they don't all have recordings of them saying their names okay cal hit us hit us with with the actual pronunciation no no i'm not going to because i'm okay. going to wait until <laughs> he says it for us 
because otherwise I'm just going to say it and it's going to be wrong and, and it's pointless in saying it, isn't it? So yes. I'll, I'll wait for the time being. But okay. um, I, I, I agree with everything with what Kendra's just said in terms of the draft picks. Um, it says something that they traded up to get McMaster. Um, they clearly see something in him because very much like I, I think just about everybody at Minnesota United was sort of sitting back with my feet up, sort of ready for the pick to come in a few picks and then all of a sudden... We have a trade to announce and all hell broke loose, you know, not once, but twice. And um, it's just the way the draft works. But I think with McMaster as well, the interesting thing is um, all of us were fortunate enough to, to be able to speak to him briefly and the other picks um, via the, the media um, portion uh, and availability afterwards. And um, what struck me was that he and, well, all of them really wanted to be professional players. They'd sort of had enough of being collegiate players and they were ready. The, the interesting thing about McMaster, though, is that he was passed upon by Philadelphia Union. They actually said no to him in terms of signing him on a homegrown contract, to my knowledge. So I'm hoping there's a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, thus meaning perhaps a little more motivation. I'm not suggesting he needs any more motivation, but that's never a bad thing. Kendra will tell you that, having an extra bit of motivation to prove your doubt is wrong. So I'm excited. You know, I mean... It, you never know, do you, really, with the draft picks? Are they going to contribute? Are they going to be a Hassani Dotson-like player? Or are they going to be a Noah Billingsley player that we expect to see develop over the years, you know? So I'm interested to see what happens, for sure. So, uh, first of all, can we just start referring to Justin McMaster as Mixmaster? That's the nickname that I really <laughs> want to go with. So I'm just putting – now i got both broadcasters right here, so I'm just going to put that out there. Um, the question I had about about Nabilai Kibanguchi, I'm just going to say that real quick, and hopefully it will just fly by. Um, you know – a defender, I believe when he was drafted also, they made some noise about possible defensive midfield duties. Um, is that a thing that we see uh, as a possibility? Obviously, with um, you know the, the status of Ozzy Alonso remains up in the air for the time being, but just getting, you know, if, if you've looked around at, at the internet, people are like, well, who's the next guy who's going to like nail down that number six spot? Um, sort of, you know, obviously we have Will Trap coming in and he's a different kind of number six, but... Do you do you think this guy could be one of those sort of a destroyer defensive midfielder if he's coming from a more defensive-minded uh, approach to begin with? You know, I think that this draft class is actually in a really tough spot because they are, you know, following what... I mean, I'm kind of putting 2020's draft class aside because it was a strange year for those guys too. The guys like Noah Billingsley where you didn't even have a ton of time with the full team and the schedule was all wonky. <laughs> so if we're going back again to 2019, it's a tough task for these guys. And because Hassani Dotson stepped in and did that right from the get-go, I mean, Cal and I were talking about this the other day. I mean, he played in the first game of the season against Vancouver, came in late in the game for just a handful of minutes, but a very crucial time to lock down that win on the road to start the 2019 season. Like that is is not normal for a rookie. So when you have a player like this that is coming in and say, okay, maybe he can play some holding mid, some defensive mid, and then he, you know, the number six role, but he can also play a defender. I would guess in, in my thought without talking to any of the coaching staff privately or separately, that they are eyeing him first and foremost as a defender and to add quality depth to that back line and some more versatility and just, again, competition and quality depth in those positions going forward with international duty, with <clears throat> injuries, things like that. Who knows how the 2021 season is going to play out with the, uh, you know, the, the pandemic continuing and things like that. So I think that um, if he could play that position, if he could come in and be a hard nosed, tough tackling, hard tackling, you know, defensive midfielder in times when you need it, 
but it's also such an important position. You have to, as your backline and your goalkeeper have to be so trusting in that person who's in that position because you're not just there to crunch a tackle. You're there to win the ball and then keep it when your team goes the other way. That's a lot of pressure on a rookie. Hassani, I think, was a rare, a rare bird in that aspect that you, they felt like he was mature and could handle that position in his rookie season. So first and foremost, I would tell this guy or tell this rookie, you focus on your defensive duties and trying to compete for a spot on the back line or minutes on the back line, not a starting position per se. And then if we need to use you and we think we can use you in that holding mid defensive mid position down the road, then awesome. But you don't want to put too much on these kids plates either. Sure. Sure. And then Sean O'Hearn, uh, you know, the second round pick also bringing in defensive depth. Um, Cal, what do you, what can you tell us about Mr. O'Hearn? He has a, a good Irish last name. So he has a great Irish last name for sure. Again, Steve, when, when we were speaking to him, um, I like the fact that somebody asked him, you know, how did he feel being drafted as late as he was? And, and he said he actually really had no problem with it because, again, he was of the opinion that now it's his opportunity to prove people wrong. Um, so, look, he's aggressive. and We'll get to see if he's what one would be described as a modern-day fullback. I would assume, um, having seen the limited footage that I have, um, that, that there wouldn't be too many... Um, differences between him and Chase Gasper, um, which, which is not a bad thing at all. Um, but ultimately, as you said, it's depth. It's defensive depth. And as Kendra alluded to as well, we, we really, again, we have no idea what, what this year is going to look like as yet. So um, I think having a, a big roster, as big as you can, um, given the, uh, the Major League Soccer rules, uh, I think it's important. So um, again, I'm interested to see how, how he develops um, but he's, I know he's aggressive. He's not one to shy away from a tackle. There's a couple of videos which I suggest people have a look online of. Um, he's not one to shy away from a challenge, let me tell you. So um, I think he'll be good. Um, technically, he looks good, looks sound, got a, a decent left foot. Um, not, not a bad right foot either. Um, he often plays the ball inside as opposed to, to being aggressive and pushing um, in that modern-day fullback role that we see just about everywhere nowadays. Um, I know I don't sound encyclopedic here, Steve, but, but he is a defensive-minded fullback. You know what I mean? He's, he's not one to push forward, um, which is, is um, not too dissimilar to how Chase Gasper was when he was first drafted. He had to be moulded into what he is now. So um, I think it's good for the club to, to have another option. Um, again, with the rookies, you don't know what you're going to get. Uh, I don't suspect him to play 30-plus games if we have 30-plus games, you know. But then again, it could be wrong. Who knows? He could really impress and he could be a first-team player. Who knows? But um, ultimately, I think Minnesota have again picked up a good piece. And, and going off of what they've done in the past, particularly the last two years in the draft, you know Amos McGee and, and the scouting department have really done their homework, particularly at the collegiate level. Yeah, last thing I just wanted to comment is one thing that you heard from all the, the the draftees is that they were excited to come to Minnesota because Minnesota has a reputation as a place that values college players, that develops college players. Um, and I think that's one of those things that, that can help you. I mean, you see how much in, in the league uh, a reputation for different things can help. You know, young players want to go to Red Bulls because they can make moves, you know, in, into Europe. They want to go to Philly because they value their homegrowns. There's a whole, you know, so valuing the draft definitely makes those guys who get drafted in Minnesota excited to come here. Um, let's move on, Kendra. Uh, Cal and I have talked uh, in the last couple of weeks about some of these coaching changes going on. We don't have to go deep into anything, um, but I just wanted to get your opinion on any of these recent hires, Greg Vanny to the Galaxy, 
Chris Armis in Toronto, Gabriel Hines in Atlanta, which I don't think Cal and I have touched on yet. So maybe we could do that one, especially uh, Losada at DC and then Phil Neville in Miami. Was there, was there anything, any of these that just stuck out to you is like, oh, this is an interesting thing about that. Well, I think, you know, Cal and our producer Morgan and I, we have a text chain, you know, a group text chain. And so a lot of the times when we see news come across, whether it's on Twitter and other areas or we hear something, we immediately text the group. And some of them are a little bit more shocking than others. And I think that, um, first of all, Greg Vanny choosing not to return to Toronto was shocking to me. And then once you started sort of hearing the rumors and piecing the puzzle together, the fact that the Galaxy job was open, it seemed to make perfect sense that he was being hired at LA Galaxy and that he was essentially returning home, a place that he played a number of years as a professional and also went to college at UCLA. So it wasn't so much the hire at LA Galaxy that surprised me. It was him not returning to TFC in that moment. That was a little bit shocking to me. And, you know, we had conversations about this that sometimes, you know, um, coaches and or players just feel like it's time for a change, time to move on. Their work there is done. They've done what they can with that project. Greg Vanny has said he loves project. He likes to work on things. And clearly TFC Toronto um, was a project when he when he stepped in there and he's taken it pretty much as high as it can go on every level. And now LA galaxy is a monster of a project with a different kind of pressure than anything he probably ever experienced at Toronto because of the history of LA galaxy and the money they, you know, they spend on their players. And the other one to me is Chris Armas, them being hired at Toronto. I mean, I was really shocked by that decision. I don't know if I thought, some I didn't have a name that I thought would get hired at Toronto. It wasn't like I had this short list created of, you know, coaches that were out there. But part of just the way he left Red Bulls, you know, I mean, what did they win the Supporter Shield in 2018? But he took over midseason with the Red Bulls. So it wasn't really necessarily his success at that point, taking over for Jesse Marsh. And they did okay under him, but not great. Um, I don't know if that was, you know, how much of that roster was his and wasn't. But um, you know, he's got the connection with um, Ali Curtis and, you know, Ali Curtis is at Toronto. So once you kind of read the tea leaves a little bit and see maybe why that hire was made, good for Chris Harmas. I think he's a great guy. He was a fantastic MLS player, you know, amazing men's national team player, has that grit, determination, intensity that um, fans like to see at least. I don't know how the players respond to it, but the fans like it. So those are probably the two biggest to me. And then, yeah, just – you know, we were kind of all sitting on our hands waiting to see what Atlanta was going to do, waiting to see what DC United was going to do. We saw a bunch of names flying around and then, of course, Inter-Miami as well. So um, another coaching carousel, crazy year. And I guess, you know, my question to you two would just be the American coach versus the international coach and the challenges between the two different because a lot more international coaches have been coming into MLS. But we also see sometimes the challenges with that because MLS is such a different league. And, and managing the, the rosters, you know? So I think sometimes the coaches are a little bit shocked when they come in from an international position and have no experience with the MLS. So that will be interesting for some of those guys. Yeah, Cal, what's your, what's your take on that, the sort of debate between the sort of American coach versus international coach? Like, to what extent, you know, uh, I mean, obviously there's certain language barriers thing, the barriers that can be a benefit. Like, if you look at Atlanta United, that's his first season with Tata Martino, then I think his familiarity with, with the South American players was, was huge to that success. You, what's your feeling on that? I think a lot of it depends on the project, Steve. Um, let's use Phil Neville, for example. We've already spoken about him briefly in a, in a prior podcast, but um, he's an international manager who um, had a, 
a very good job as, as the England national team manager, um, um, England women's national team, and, and, and was very, very well respected um, in that role. Um, this is his first foray into club management. Uh, yes, he's had coaching roles um, before at Valencia uh, and has helped out elsewhere, particularly with his brother Gary when he's been on, on um, other escapades. But um, this is the first time he's going to be a head coach um, on his own in, um, in, in a, from a club sense. And he's doing it in a league that he's not familiar with. So I think I said this the other, the other week, Steve. I don't see this lasting very long. But the major saving grace for Phil Neville is the hiring of Chris Henderson above him, mm. who was obviously, um, for those unaware, the technical director and, and has been for a long time at Seattle Sounders. It's not gone bad at the Sounders for the last 10 years or so, has it? So um, I think he couldn't have had anybody better coming into work ahead of him. Um, so that might be his, his main saving grace there. But I am interested to see how he commands the locker room with the likes of Blas Matuidi um, and Gonzalo Higuain, big characters who have played on the continental stage for a long time, you know. So um, it just depends, Steve. It depends on the project, in my opinion, because if you want to bring in the big stars, the debate is had, I know, amongst players, not only in MLS, but across the entirety of world football. Does it, does it require a big name? that will instantly command respect walking into the locker room? Or are you okay with a project? And whether it is a young American coming in or somebody like Phil Neville, who I think is, is going to be viewed as a project um, because, because of the, the lack of club experience that he has. So, you know, being down here for as, long, as, as much as I have in, in Miami for the last month, um, all the talk was Patrick Vieira. Patrick Vieira was on the back page of the newspapers here. It, it seemed to be the choice that everybody wanted somebody who would have instantly come into a dressing room and, and commanded respect because of his playing career. Um, and he's not done too bad as a manager as well. So I think it depends on the project. It depends on the group of players and what they need to be motivated. Kendra will tell you this. Every player has their own, their own personal way of being motivated. And sometimes it is a big international player coming in, who, uh, a big international manager that will straight away command respect and command the dressing room but also other people are motivated by a young American who is unknown and they want to work with them. So we'll, we'll wait and see. But um, it, it's a debate that will forever go on in Major League Soccer because we will see success in both avenues. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I don't know what is the wrong or the right way to go, Steve, but in my opinion, it depends on the project and it depends on those in the locker room. Yeah, that makes sense. I, my only two takes on, on Phil Neville, I think I said this last time, maybe we have a reverse Ted Lasso here with the, the Englishman coming over to American <laughs> soccer. And then the other thing is that if you told me there was a guy named Phil and he had a brother, I would guess his name was Gary because Phil and Gary just seem like that's the, they should go together that way. Um, uh, we're going to talk about uh, Copa Libertadores and we'll, we'll do, get, move on to some other stuff. Uh, first, though, when injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers. With convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team, you're always close to the care you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org ortho. 
All right, Cal, let's touch on Copa Libertadores. You're back in Miami uh, to call the final, uh, which is not in Miami. It's the it's an all-Brazilian matchup, Palmeiras versus Santos at Maracanã. I haven't said Maracanã in so long, even though that's the name of one of our meeting rooms at the office because I haven't been there. Um, so catch us up on these on these two teams, Cal, and what, what we can all expect from a, from a final. Well, okay, let's put a bit of a stopwatch on here, shall we? Because I don't want this to turn into a Libertadores podcast. Sure, yeah. But, um, <laughs> the, the Cliff's but, Notes version for people yes. who might not even get to watch the final. <laughs> no, look, ultimately, again, for those who are listening to the pod and are unaware, the Conmebol Libertadores is the South American equivalent of the UEFA Champions League. Um, and this version is an all-Brazilian affair, as Steve mentioned, happening quite fittingly at the home of Brazilian football at the Maracanã in Rio de Janeiro, um, and Palmeiras and Santos are two storied, good old Brazilian football clubs that have been there, done that, and gotten the T-shirt, but not for a long time. And um, this is their moment. This is their moment to shine. Both were able to get the better of Boca Juniors and River Plate in the semi-finals. I must admit, as a neutral, I was quite hoping for a, a River Plate Boca Juniors final, you know, just because of the rivalry between the two and what happened in 2018. If you're not aware of what happened in 2018, go and have a look because it was, it was amazing. Um, but no, look, there's some really good players um, who I know for an absolute fact are being watched by scouts in Major League Soccer. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing them. The, the young Venezuelan winger, Jefferson Soteldo, is, is a talent and a half for Santos. He'll more than likely play on the left-hand side and is an inverted winger, will cut in. There's a centre-forward called Caio Jorge, who has been compared to Neymar. Um, and I think it's interesting because Santos have won this competition three times. The first two times was 1962 and 63 when they had Pele on the roster. The last time was in 2011 when they had Neymar on the roster. So I wonder, is this the time when they win it again with another potential superstar on their roster? And in terms of Palmeiras, they have a fabulous right winger called Honey, who's wonderful for me. should get a, a look at the Brazilian national team. And everything is anchored uh, from the centre of midfield. They have two tremendous young players. Danilo, a holding midfielder. Patrick de Paula um, is one who I know a lot of MLS teams are interested in as well and, and taking a look at, a serious look at. So um, I'm excited, Steve. It should be good. Um, it should be a really good advertisement for the tournament and for the region. Excellent. I uh, I don't know that much about the teams other than that. I really like Palmeiras' badge. I really like the the Palmeiras along the bottom. I'm, I'm a sucker for a good uh, typeface. Uh, Kendra, have you gotten to follow much of the, the, the Copa Libertadores from this distance? It can be a little bit of a challenge with the, you know, being on different channels and things like that. But uh, have you gotten a chance to check in? Well, fortunately, I follow Cal on Twitter. So I have gotten to follow it vicariously through that um, and him doing the games, which has actually been nice because it's not something that I would necessarily take the time to sit down and watch an entire match, even though knowing the passion of those clubs and the history of that league. Um, and I don't know if River and Boca had played each other, if we would even have a game. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> honestly, the way that history has gone and, you know, some of the things that have happened between those two clubs, I mean, who knows, it might have not even happened or whether there might have been a fight or, you know, right. who knows. But it would have been entertaining nonetheless. But it's been fun to follow along. And, you know what, it's just, it's nice to once again um, have live soccer 
And I mean, we, you know, the premier league has been on and which is great. And we all watch and we all have our teams and things like that, but sometimes it seems so far away. So with Cal doing these games, even though he's in the United States and the games are elsewhere, it feels a little bit closer and you feel a little bit more connected to it. So it's been fun to watch. And I'm, you know, I'm excited for the U S men to play this weekend. I'm excited for the league to get going again for us, um, whenever that might be. So just, you know, it feels like it's getting a little bit closer and it's nice to have it a little bit closer to home. Yeah, there's absolutely that thing in the offseason, uh, Kendra, that I, I, I send sometimes, which is that as much as you love soccer, as much as anyone loves soccer, sometimes when something's happening, you're like, I just need a little longer and then I'll get <laughs> into it again. It's just like it, it's, it can be a quick turnaround. So we're going to do a quick turnaround here again. We're not going to do a full on I'm not previewing the season yet or anything like that. But I be- believe this is I wrote this down in my notes is the vaguest look ahead uh, to the next season and, and the Western Conference, especially because the thing I was thinking about this week is the fact that Minnesota United, you know, at this point wants to stay in that top four, wants to, you know, a year in and year out, get that home field uh, game in the first round and, and, and try to stay up in that top four and looking at the other teams around them. You know, what are we looking at as far as anything that stands out for who's moving up maybe in that, that, that order, who might, be, who might be sliding down a little bit? I think I'll open just by saying that uh, Sporting Kansas City, obviously first place in the Western Conference last year, still looks – I mean, I think, I, I think they're back on track. Uh, I think they're going to be a team to reckon with uh, next season. Um, Kendra, is there any, any teams that strike you as uh, maybe they're, they're going to take a step back or some that you think are going to take a step up into that uh, playoff range? I think we'll see the usuals near the top. It'll be Sporting Kansas City. I think Seattle will be right up there again. I know Jordan Morris, you know, out of the mix now, but still they've got so many good pieces going forward and they're going to want to avenge that loss to Columbus. I mean, I think they got absolutely embarrassed in the final and, and Brian Schmetzer finally signing um, a new contract, I think is a big deal there. So um, he, you know, seems to sort of be um, a player's coach and has his team going in the right direction. People believe in his system, believe in his style. So I expect Seattle to be right there. Peter Vermees and now fail hover on the staff. I don't know what, if that's just a PR move or, you know, what, how he even feels about being a coach. Not everyone wants to be on, you know, be a coach, but also some people don't know what to do after soccer. <laughs> so um, that'll be interesting, but you know, for me, and, and it's going to seem kind of strange, but Watching some of the moves and the things and the aggressive nature that Houston Dynamo has done. Now they can't get much worse than how they finished in, in, in Tab's first year as a as a head coach. I do see them climbing up the ladder a little bit because I think we saw glimpses and moments from them last season, um, with or without Albert Elise that they, you know, they showed some promising attributes. They made some really quality additions. I think they're excited about some of the additions that they've made. I think Tab won't let that happen again if he can manage this team the right way to finish and kind of fizzle out at the end of the season. Um, so that's a team that I would maybe keep an eye on just to see now that they they know that Albert Elise is gone. They know of what pieces they will have. They have Joe Corona, which I think is a big time addition for them. We'll see what Darwin Quintero does in another year. Um, so that would be my only thing. I don't know what to make of Portland, honestly. Um, Severici seems to always find a way to get his team prepared, even in his first season or so. I, you know, I think it felt like the wheels were falling off sometimes, but then somehow they would kind of get it together. So um, Portland will be an interesting one for me. and. You know, honestly, Minnesota is a little bit to be determined for me because I think that I, once again, that attacking position is so up in the air for the club. And um, we still have Reynoso, which is awesome. I mean, that feels good to get him for an entire season. That will be fun to watch. 
but the absence of Kevin Molino, how do you fill his shoes? You got Robin Lode back in, in a significant role. Um, you know, Luis Amaria, as far as we know, is no longer with the club. So I think there's a lot of crazy things going on, but I, you know, I would expect the team to be ready and, and raring to go. We'll just see who comes in in that attacking role for, for Minnesota United. Yeah, Houston's an interesting shot there because I think, you know, they they when when Minnesota came into the league in 2017, I remember Houston is just having that three-headed attack with with Elise and Kyoto and um Monotas. And, yes. you know, that, that was just like their attack was so dynamic. Their home field advantage is so huge. But, you know, you sort of felt like it, from the very start of, of Minnesota's time, it was like, well, these guys are moving on. Like they're, they're, they're going to go. And so every year you're just like, where's Elise going to go? And he wasn't going, he wasn't going. Now finally he's gone. And so I think maybe that does free up that chance to sort of shake things up a little bit, just see what else they can do with it while still holding that great advantage of being Houston in the middle of scorching <laughs> summer. So that's a very interesting one. Portland is also one I'm curious about because like, like you said, Kendra, that it, they get old, they're older and older, sort of they're, you know, the, the, this core of Diego Valeria and like, you know, they're, they're getting older, um, uh, Diego Chara, but uh, they keep managing to do it, but you still see every season, like these stretches where they aren't doing well. So is there eventually the season where it just doesn't come together and they just can't pull it out in the end? But um, is this the season? I would hesitate to bet against them until that actually happens, I guess, having, having seen them the last several years, but um, Cal, is there anybody who's caught your eye out West as far as this team is, looks like they're, they're moving up. Um, I think the one team that will move up because they have to is the LA galaxy for so long. Now we've, we've almost become accustomed to the galaxy holding on by the skin of their teeth and just creeping into the playoffs. It, it's not the LA galaxy that everybody around the world knows. And, and I think, um, as Kendra alluded to earlier on, Greg Vanny has a humongous job on his hands to, to turn things around. Um, defensively, for so long, they've been so suspect. When they thought they'd figured out, brought in some new bodies last year. I remember when they brought in Emiliano Insura, who had played for Liverpool and played in the Bundesliga as well, left back. Didn't work out at all. Um, there were several other pieces at centre-half that, that weren't anywhere near as strong as they thought. Um, David Bingham, for me, I, I just don't think is a starting Major League Soccer goalkeeper. And I say this with all due respect, at a club of, of this calibre. Um, and, and look, this is why they've gone and added a new goalkeeper. Uh, Jonathan Bond has come in from West Bromwich Arvin in the Premier League. It's, it's an eyebrow-raising move. It's not a move that um, we see very often. Um, although we are now starting to see a trend of, of championship-esque players coming in to Major League Soccer because I think that they're seeing the attractions of MLS and everything that comes with it. Um, Javier Hernandez has to, has to deliver. He has to score goals. Um, and for that to happen, he needs service. And that's the biggest question for me at the moment is I don't know where the service is going to come from from an LA Galaxy point of view. Um, Christian Pavon um, is back in training with Boca Juniors. Um, there's no deal that's been done. There isn't a deal imminent. Um, to my knowledge, there was a deal that was on the table for around about $10 million, which Boca Juniors said no to. Um, and and if, if I am the LA Galaxy, I'm trying to figure out, if that's not going to happen, how do you replace it? You know, you, you don't really replace Christian Pavon unless you bring him in yourself. There was a, a rumour, I think Kendra might have sent it to me actually a while ago, that um, Greg Vanny was looking into to bring in Sebastian Jovinko. Um, and if that's the case, if Jovinko is anywhere near the player that he was in Toronto, then that could be a terrific signing. Um, so we'll see. But but for me, that that's the team. What I I think that they're, they're 
there has to be movements. There has to be a situation where they get themselves back into what many would consider sort of the, the, the realm of relevance, really, and get yourself back into the headlines in MLS because it's been far too long for the LA. I don't remember the last time LA Galaxy were in a conference final. It was probably 2014. It's been far too long. So this is the season now for me where they have to get it right or once again, heads will roll. Yeah, well, I certainly agree with you. I think that um, Dave is just not a goalkeeper name. Dave, Dave, like Dave strikes me as like a midfielder kind of name. Um, I don't know. I mean, Edgar Davids. It, I it guess, strikes like, me more it. as like an insurance adjuster kind of a name, <laughs> not necessarily even a midfielder. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta be named Cal if you're involved with soccer. This is the rule we've discovered: is Cal Montgomery or Cal Williams. Or every every soccer player is named Cal or related to that. So, um, <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, right, again, I'm not gonna. We're not gonna go through all of the Western Conference. I just want to thank you guys for taking this time out uh, for listening to the podcast. Thanks, Kendra for joining us uh, may your your continued distance learning go good as long as it as so long as it goes hey she went back into school this week okay <laughs> why do you think i'm free and there's no one screaming in the background there's no little hands popping up in the in the podcast you know like no one's sticking their head in here so you know it's it's been a good week she needs it as much as i do <laughs> <laughs> yes and cal uh enjoy miami but not too much you know i don't want you to get spoiled by the by the warm weather yeah, I'm. Um, I will tell you, it's 71 here right now. Um, Disgusting. It, it's very nice, but look, I mean, I, this is the thing. It's a rather subdued experience because because of COVID. So you know, I, I'll do my best to enjoy it. Uh, very much looking forward to, to the final on Saturday for sure. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us for the 127th Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. You can follow Cal at Cal Williams Com. You can follow Kendra at Kendra Sports and me at Steve Entris. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you and people can like you exactly as you are. <laughs>